as I have said, twice a day, in the morning and in the evening satsangs, Shivananda took us into the realms of higher consciousness. His humor was there as a manifestation of his love and deep familiarity with us, but there was so much more. One of the most memorable experiences of my life was hearing Swami Shivananda sing every day in the evening satsang. Oh my Jesus, oh my Jesus, Lord Jesus, come, come to me. Oh my Mary, Virgin Mary, Mother Mary, come, come to me. Now this was no token broad-mindedness on Shivananda's part. Every aspect of his being vibrated with his real love and faith in Christ and his mother. Christmas was celebrated grandly every year in the ashram. Shivananda had written an entire book on the life of Jesus, which was available from the ashram press. In his book, Lives of Saints, he wrote, The Lord Jesus disappeared at the ages of 13 and reappeared in his 31st year. During this period, from his 13th to his 31st year, he came to India and practiced yoga. Jesus left Jerusalem and reached the land of Indus in the company of merchants. He visited Varanasi, Rajgriha, and other places in India. He spent several years in Hindustan. Jesus lived like a Hindu or a Buddhist monk, a life of burning renunciation and dispassion. He assimilated the ideals, precepts, and principles of Hinduism. Christianity is modified Hinduism only, which was suitable for those people who lived in the period of Christ. Really speaking, Jesus was a child of the soil of India only. That is the reason why there is so much of similarity between his teachings and the teachings of Hinduism and Buddhism. During this period, he traveled in India, where he got initiation from sages and seers. And in his essay, just titled Christianity, he then wrote this. Christian faith sprung from the wisdom of India, overspread the old trunk of Judaism. Buddhism prevailed in Palestine when Christ was born. Christ himself came in contact with it through John the Baptist. There is a striking resemblance between Buddhism and Christianity in their precepts, in their forms and ceremonies, in the architectural style of their temples, and even in the account of the lives of their founders. Christianity owes to Buddhism that higher morality which distinguishes it from Judaism. The moral precepts and teachings of Buddhism have much in common with those of Christianity. Between his 13th and 32nd years of age, Jesus spent his life in India and lived like a Hindu or Buddhist monk. He had burning vairagya, dispassion, and spirit of renunciation. In India, he assimilated Hindu ideals and principles. His words have been misunderstood, wrongly annotated, mutilated, deformed, and transformed, and yet they have survived almost 2,000 years as they were very powerful and came from the heart of a realized yogi. Here is the gist of Jesus' teachings. 
God is spirit. He is omnipresent. He loves his creatures with infinite love. He is the father of all. God is eminent in the world. He is transcendental also. He sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to show them the way to attain immortality. So Shivananda wrote about Jesus. Actually, just a few miles north of Shivananda Ashram is Vashista Cave, in which Jesus lived for some time, or rather I should say at which Jesus lived, for he actually lived in the eastern-facing cave, I mean the, the, the one facing the Ganges to the east, rather than in the very huge cave, commonly called Vashista Cave. Sorry. In the last century, both Swami Ramatirtha and Swami Ramdas, it is Papa Ramdas, lived there at different times and had visions of Jesus meditating there in that eastern-facing cave, though they had no prior knowledge of his having lived there. Yogananda said that wherever a master goes, he leaves his vibration permanently there. So for this reason, the living vibration of Jesus is to be found in various places of northern India. Now back to Shivananda himself. In India, God is referred to as Dinabandhu, friend of the lowly. Shivananda, being one with God, was absolutely a friend of the lowly. One time, a group of poor, illiterate villagers came to the morning satsang on their way to Badranath. Shivananda spoke to them with such love and respect. I mean, it was wonderful to witness. A few asked for initiation, and he initiated them right there. The process was interesting. You might like to hear about it. He called for Japamalas to be brought. Then he would take a mala and do some silent japa on it. Then he would ask the person what mantra they wanted. After being told, he would then instruct them to listen carefully. Then he would intone the mantra aloud three times. Next, he would have them intone it with him three times. Finally, he would have them intone it alone three times. And during those last three times, he would fix his gaze very, very intently on them. And this was a time where he transferred uh, indescribable, unspeakable spiritual power to them so they could carry on their sadhana. Then he handed them the mala, and it appeared to be over. But for those who are faithful, it was only the beginning as the word initiation indicates. That satsang, with all these villagers, he asked if anyone was ill and told those who were to be sure and be examined at the free clinic run by the ashram. Shivananda was himself a medical doctor and had even edited a medical journal before he became a monk. He also gave various things to the pilgrims that day that would be of help to them in their journey. 
The amazing thing was his abundant, boundless love for them and everyone he met. His heart was with the whole world and open to everyone who came to him. More than once I sat looking at him and thinking, if there is anyone in this world who loves me, it is Shivananda. I never doubted it. There was an army base in Rishikesh, and one morning I remember two soldiers of the lowest rank came to the satsang. They weren't big officers and so on. They were just what in our uh, army are called privates. How delighted Shivananda was to see them. It was an amazing thing to witness. He asked them to come and stand by him, and he questioned them about themselves and their life in the army. I'm so glad you came to see me, he told them, and he had someone bring them books, which he gave to them. Then he spoke to Swami Devananda, who reached into his ever-present bag and brought out two pencils, handing them to each one as he told them, these are Swamiji's be good, do good pencils. See, that motto, be good, do good, was painted on a large sign above the door. And Shivananda had pencils made with the motto on them as well that he gave out. Then after the giving was over, the two of them just stood there smiling at him as he smiled up at them, radiating his great love, more than the love of mother or father. To the world, those two men were of no particular importance. But to him, they were deities because he saw God in them. Please be sure to come and see me again, he asked, and they promised him that they would. At one evening satsang, prizes were to be given out for a sadhana contest that had taken place that day. I had never heard of a sadhana contest, but assumed that it was a creation of Shivananda to inspire spiritual practice. Apparently, the contestants did various forms of sadhana, such as likit or handwritten japa. Those that had taken part in the contest lined up at the front. Swami Devananda named someone and announced, First prize. He handed the prize to Shivananda, who gave it to the winner. Then Devananda named another person and announced, First prize. And Shivananda gave it to them. Every participant got first prize from Shivananda. Obviously, there were two reasons for this. First, so that no one would be disappointed at not getting first prize, and at the implication that they were less than a first-class sadhaka. And second, because those who engage in sadhana all get the same result, the first prize of self-realization. Actually, in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells a parable that is exactly about this very principle. Perhaps he learned it in India. But such was the kindness and wisdom of Shivananda. However, another satsang, things were somewhat different. I am sorry to say that there are supposed sadhus in India who follow around rich people, fawning on them, often going with them, to holy places like a hired guide. Uh, 
And uh, one morning, one of these types ushered in with all undue reverence a man with a big turban, big beard, big mustache, two big revolvers in holsters, and two big belts of bullets crossed over his chest. What a sight. This supposed Swami, who was squiring him around, seemed at every moment about to fall at the man's feet and worship him. Of course, he had the man sit down in front, directly before Shivananda, and kept fussing around him like a silly mother or a nanny. Naturally, the man had nothing to say or to ask Shivananda because he was empty of all but himself. In other words, ego. Now, when he had come in, Shivananda had caught a glimpse of him and actually turned his head slightly away and covered his eyes with his hand, almost as if he was having a what we call a cat nap. The sadhu began reciting a litany of praise of his beturbaned deity. He is a bank president, was the first praise. Shivananda briefly turned his head back, lifted his hand for a moment, looked at the man, responded, mm, and then turned back and covered his eyes. At each phrase, which was meant to impress him, he did the same. Mm. When the glorification came to an end, Shivananda took away his hand and looked intently at the man. What is the purpose of the guns and the bullets, he asked. Immediately, the devotee jumped in and declared, Oh, Swamiji, where he lives there are many tigers, and he often hunts tigers. There are no tigers in this ashram, Shivananda quietly observed, and that was the end of the matter. Though the man and his entourage were supposed to stay for a few days at the ashram, we never saw any of them again. I think that might have been the intention of Swami Shivananda. <laughs>